This morning I have a brand new towel, has pastor on it, and uh, Mike and Missy Gardner gave me a new towel. That means uh, that means I'll preach a little longer. Anyway, we're glad you're here this morning, and uh, I appreciate that gift. And you know that uh, the church is a gift to the pastor. Pastor's a gift to the church, right? And uh, and uh, salvation is a gift to all of us. And we're grateful to be a part of the church. We're in a series, the book of Acts, and uh, we're looking at a picture of the early church. It's a New Testament church, the birth of the church. So we had the family of God in the Old Testament, right? And uh, then Jesus came. We know the story. It's the gospel. But it was fulfilled at the resurrection and and the ascension, the exaltation. And then Pentecost came. And on the day of Pentecost, the church was starting. And uh, it was started in prayer, 10 days of prayer, right? Uh, they obeyed God's command to go and pray 10, year, 10 days later after the resurrection. And that was 50 days. Pentecost came and the church was birthed. And we see a lot of things happening between Acts chapter 2 and we're today we're in Acts chapter 4. And we've already seen some commotion take place. So when God starts blessing, how many know the devil starts messing? Yes, you can guarantee the devil's not going to lay down and play dead while the people of God um, do his business. And so we are thankful to be a part of the church. I hope that you're enjoying this. It's a, it's a series that is um, steeped in the Word of God. We're looking at it. It's going to take a little time. But all we have is time. Until the Lord comes, we're going to study the Word together. Amen? And so I know you got to get out of here about 1130 or 12. Um, I can keep preaching, but you'll turn your hearing aids off and you'll just leave anyway. So anyway, I want to get to it and uh, wait a little bit for the musicians and everybody to get back in. But the title today is Be Bold, Don't Fold. So we're having a lot of churches and leaders and God's people. Uh, it's prophetic. It was prophesied in the last days. Even the very elect will be deceived. Uh, God's people will grow cold and wax cold, it says. It means when wax gets, uh, when the candle wax gets colder, it starts hardening. So hardened hearts, deaf ears, uh, just complacency, it's a little bit of uh, 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 apostasy. People are falling away, and yet at the same time, I mean, oh, the Holy Spirit is still moving. So there's, there's, we're moving toward the end of the age. If you look at it, we are in the church age, and this is the picture. This is the DNA, if you please of the New Testament church, and that's why I felt the Lord leading us to say, hey, what does a New Testament church look like in 2023? We're 2,000 years removed. And I think the longer you get away from the original, uh, the more you get, uh, you can get things like a pseudo-church or a modern church, uh, a church that's not look like at all. Uh, it's a counterfeit almost. It, it, it loses some of the First love experience and relationship. How I many know it quickly can turn into a religion? Religion. So you think of the Jews from the tribe of Judah, a relationship with God, and very quickly it became Judaism. It became an ism. How I many know an ism? You put ism on the back of something. How I many know that's a religion? I looked up the word religion. The, the word religion has the definition of being something that binds you to bound. 
I mean, no, Jesus came to set people free, not to keep people in bondage. But by the time you get to, to the resurrection, to Jesus, right, and the, and the cross and the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection, and then Pentecost, here you have Jews, Judaizers, in steeped in Judaism, which is tradition and religion. And now you have a conflict between the relationship with the real Messiah they've been waiting for for a thousand years and Judaism, religion. They got religious leaders and religious traditions and all these laws and legalism came into play. Are you all with me? You see where we are? I'm just trying to tow, uh, tow the line here and help you to see where we are in Acts chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, we'll start reading in maybe verse 23. Uh, Peter and John gets uh, placed in jail overnight uh, because they preached the resurrection, right? They preached the resurrection. How many know the resurrection must be preached? Jesus Christ is alive and well. We got to keep that truth alive. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. And they uh, they were released. Peter and John went back to their own people. I just wanted to shout. They went back to their church. How many glad you have your own people? Come on. How many glad you have a tribe? You have your people. You have your church. We are, so they went back to Oak Grove. That's what it said right here. They went back to their own people, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, the people of God, Oak Grove Assembly, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Prayer is a key to the New Testament church. They raised their voices. They weren't, they weren't quiet and shy and timid. They raise their voices together in prayer. One voice. Many people. One voice, right? And uh, they raised it to God, and here's what they said. Sovereign Lord. If there's anything the New Testament church knew, they knew the sovereignty of God, Max. They understood that God was sovereign. That means he is in complete control of everything that was, that is, and that will be. He's sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea. You're the creator of everything in it. And you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. You're creator, you're alive, and you speak. Are y'all here? This is what they're saying. They're talking to a living God, not a dead God. And now they talk from Psalms. Why do the nations raise? This is what uh, what David said, why do the nation, nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. 900 years earlier, the Psalms, David had proclaimed what was going to be happening in chapter 4 in the book of Acts. Are you with me? Against his anointed one, the Messiah. Indeed, and so now here it is. So Peter's talking, he said, indeed, Herod was part of that plan, sovereign Lord. Herod, well, here it is, Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city, Jerusalem, to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. And look at this. I had to underline it. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. How many believe in the sovereignty of Almighty God? 
This was no accident. This was the plan of God unfolded in the will and mind of God, right? Now, Lord, here's the part. Here's a request. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. We're going to look into that. That's all they asked for. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I don't know what you would do this morning if the house started to shake. Okay, some of you might uh, react in panic thinking we're having an earthquake. Uh, That's kind of the way it feels when the earth begins to shake. It's not a bad feeling. It's a real feeling. But how many know if the Lord's doing the shaking, you don't have anything to worry about? Amen? And since he was, they, uh, they, the place was shaken, and look what had happened. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. And all the believers, not half of them, not one or two of them, not 20% of them, all the believers were one in heart and mind. They had one heart, excuse me, one passion, one mind, one heart, one voice. Can I just stop to tell you, I'm glad to be able to speak today. Last Sunday, I had no voice at all after church Sunday night. All week, I coughed and had no voice at all. Is anybody thankful that the goodness of God can help you between Sundays? Amen. And so they were in one heart, one mind. No one claimed that any of their own possession was their own. Because Jesus bought them, right? You've been bought with a price. Your life is not your own. He purchased you. Nothing was their own. Uh, They shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And that uh, there were no needy persons among them. That's powerful. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold the land or the house brought uh, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, means the son of encouragement, having land, sold his land, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want to talk about the DNA of a healthy church. This, this is a great church. It's birth. It's brand new. How I many know oh, they hadn't had a chance to mess up yet? They will. Don't you worry. They will. How I many know oh, the Apostle Paul had to deal with the church at Corinth? Uh, they got arrogant. They, got, uh, they were immature. They got high and haughty and high-minded. They thought that those who spoke in tongues and had the gifts were more important than anybody else. They thought the rich were better than the poor. How I many know oh, they had their set of issues? Why? Because we're people. Somebody shout people. And anytime you have people, you have problems. And guess what? When you have more people, more problems. So so I, I pray all the time, Lord, increase our church. Give us more people. And I said, Lord, give me more grace to handle the more people. The DNA of a healthy church. They were great in unity. When it came to unity, this is just a bird's eye view of a New Testament church. Uh, it sets the example for us instructs us, warns us, encourages us to be the church. And and so we want to be bold as they were, but uh, I don't see in the church here a weak, timid, struggling church trying to survive. I see a strong, unified church. 
I see a church that's blessed by God, right? And one of the signs of the healthy church in the New Testament right here is uh, the unity they had. It was a great church. And uh, verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. Nobody claimed that anything had, was their own. They shared everything they had. There was I don't see any division. Uh, I see equals, right? Everybody shared with everybody. Everybody loved everybody. I don't see this church hating that side of the church, that side hating that side of the church. I see one unified bunch. How many know in the near future we're going to really need that? In the near future, we don't have any place in the body of Christ for uh, any schisms, any fighting, any any riffraff. I mean, we don't have any time or any place for people who can't get along with each other. In fact, I don't know how in the world we're trying to get the people of God into the house of God if the people in the house can't get along. So I see unity, and anybody here thankful for the unity we have at Oak Grove? They were equal. They were equal. Um, now, now in our culture today, we have equity. How I many know equity is not equality? Big difference. Big difference now because we're forcing people to be equal when they're not actually equal. How I many know uh, water and oil do not mix? So everybody has value, equal value to God. But how I many know if you're not in Christ, you're not part of the church? Now, that sounds like I'm not being very tolerant and uh, not equal, right? But the fact is, you're either one of two places. You're either saved or you're lost. If you're saved, shout amen. You're part of the church. You're the church. You're unified. And you're unified in purpose. You're unified in, in your mind, in your passions, in your prayers. Everything was unified. In your possessions, they were unified. Okay? You don't have everybody believing whatever they want. That's not unity. Are y'all hearing me? Well, I believe this. Well, I believe that. And if you want to know what people believe, go on Facebook. Because there is so much uh, boldness on Facebook. You know why? You don't have to look at anybody. So much boldness. So Facebook, as wonderful as it was, and social media, as great as it is, you know what it did for the church? It brought uh, a space, a chasm between face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball people. Now people don't have the thick relationships anymore. Many people, all the friends they have are on Facebook. I mean, well, that's a lonely place to be. That's a lonely place to be. If all your friends are on Facebook, you're very lonely. You need to get at least a, a puppy. At least it's real, somebody who can look it in the eye. And see their, their tail wag or something, a little action. And so this doesn't just happen. It, it's the result of devoted teaching, preaching, and living in the Word. Remember chapter 2? They, they dwelled together in the Word, they were house to house. They prayed together. They took communion together. They were unified. They were family. I had a mind to put Sister Sledge on this morning. You know, we are family. I got all my brothers and sisters with me. Forget it. You got to be raised in the 70s, 80s, something like that. They were united in the word. We're going to need that again. We're going to need the unity of the church. You know, in my find as pastoring 35 years, you know when I found people needed the church the most? When they were in need. 
In fact, somebody not go to church for months and months and years. All of a sudden, they get in need. Ring. Hey, Pastor Ron. So who is this? We had a lady at our last church in Louisiana, and uh, and she uh, she was in the newspaper. She was the best employee at the bank, employee of the month, and in the small prison, member of First Assembly of God. I was like, I hadn't seen that lady in 10 years. Can I tell you, just because your name's on the roll at a church doesn't make you part of the family of God. you got to be part of the family. Be in Christ. Be in Christ. And see, chapter 2, they steadfast in the word. Truth produces faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, right? So it instills the value of unity, the strength of oneness in our hearts. And we do life together. We are the community of Oak Grove. This is Oak Grove neighborhood. We are Oak Grove church. You understand? There's a sense of belonging. We we are we're not trying to be somebody else. I'm thankful for the things God's doing in other places, but how many know this is our church? Let me stop and say that again. I'm thankful for what God's doing in other places. This is our church. And we can get excited about what's happening right here. Amen. One body doing life together. Um uh we fight one devil, serving one God. You talk about a big picture yesterday, 60 ladies. I thought, man, they dominated the sights and sounds. They dominated. I don't know how much squawking was going on over there. But I went to pick up Melissa and, and walking out with, can you imagine, 2,000 women in one building? I couldn't hear myself thinking. I just, it was all blurry to me. A lot of squawking. But they were squawking in unity. And, and even though I couldn't understand it, I knew it was about the Lord. You could feel the presence of the Lord. How many know when people to come in the presence of the Lord in unity, something happens. Strength happens. We are together. And it was, it was obvious. And so their hearts were one and uh, one body fighting one devil, serving one God. And it produced a commonality in practice. And they all had everything in common, same goal, same purpose. Can I just tell you that on this first point? We need to guard our unity. We need to guard our unity. The scripture says, guard your heart and mind by Christ Jesus. I would add, guard your church unity. Because Satan, how I many you know there's always a, a wolf or, or, or a wolf in sheep's clothes that comes in and tries to divide and conquer? How I many you know there's always somebody that's trying to tear up what God is trying to bring together? Amen? So guard it. Fight for it. Practice it. It's in Christ. And when there's no unity, guess what you find? Division, strife, competition, yours and mine. I mean, no, it's not yours and mine. It's ours. It's not me. I am Oak Grove. It's we. We are Oak Grove. See that? It's us. Together. Unity. Somebody shout unity. So we must be like-minded. And also they had great, they had great power. Not only did they have great unity, they had great power. The power of God was in their midst. I think I think the unity is a precursor to the presence and power of God. You know that, that when they were in the book of Acts, chapter 2, they were in one mind and one accord, right? One accord. And they prayed together, one spirit. And the Lord's power fell on them, on each of them, right? 
So there wasn't nobody sitting in the corner. I don't want none of that. Okay? I don't want this and I don't want that. Uh, I'm the early service. I'm the late service. I'm the morning service. I'm the night service. How many know we're only one church? We do a lot of different things in a lot of different ways, but at the end of the day, we are one church, unified. And remember, they had power of the Holy Spirit, the power of prayer in Christ. They had power in the name of Jesus. Remember chapter 3? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And, that's, and, and, and they wanted to say that Peter and John did. They say, hey, don't look at us as if, if we did this. We didn't do this. First of all, the church was praying. And second of all, the Lord is here. He's a resurrected Christ. Right? So we didn't do this. Jesus in his name, the power of his name. That's how this man got healed. And they were bold in their preaching. And preacher, he's preaching. He preached, uh, Peter preached in Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. How many know preaching is essential? Now, we got a lot of people doing TED Talks, a little, little uh, cheer you up, encouraging kind of little uh, pep talks. How many know we got to preach the truth of the Word of God? It's not how impressive we are with the Greek and the Hebrew. It's, it's incredibly important to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and really died and really did uh, get buried in Joseph of Arimathea's uh, uh, grave. And then he really did come alive. He really did come alive. Does anybody here believe in the resurrection? Of course. Of course. We just don't want to get too excited about it. So if we're here. To be a part of the DNA of the New Testament church, we must rely on the supernatural power of God. Our faith is in the power of God, not man. Not man. You know how easy it is for uh, the audience? I was telling my boys this morning in prayer, the, uh, some of the celebrity, you know, we make celebrity preachers overnight. Somebody writes a book, and all of a sudden they're a celebrity. I, I'm glad for authors and preachers. I'm glad for, for success in ministry. But how many know some of it, some of it is the uh, is the person, the artist, and some of it is the audience. The audience sometimes loves to lift up and elevate man. Can I tell you, we should never elevate man. It's from the power of God. Remember what happened? Paul thought he could be at Mars Hill and reason with all of the intellectuals, philosophers of the day, teaching new things. And all of a sudden, he realized that he couldn't keep up. They were smarter than he was. So in, in Corinthians, he said, hey, uh, let my preaching not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. So that people come out with the power of God, not the power of men. They're persuasive words. People can really woo you with their words and their knowledge. But these boys, they stuck with the great power of God. Amen? And uh, and so we need uh, the power, the power, a great power the church had, bold witness. They were, had bold witness. They had a bold worship. They had bold preaching. And, and you know what? They had bold warfare. While they were in prison, the church was in prayer. We all have something we can be doing, but it has to be bold. Amen? It has to be intentional. And then great grace, number three. only have six points, so hang in there. Uh, great grace was on them all. And uh, verse 33, great grace was upon them all. Grace is a gift. How many thankful for the grace of Almighty God? 
Come on, how many are glad that God graced you, reached down and got you when you didn't deserve to be gotten? God got you. I know I'm glad he got a hold of me. I said, Jesus got a hold of my life, and he won't let me go. And I'm thankful for that. I have a testimony, and I have a life, and I have 40 years of life to show that I have not forsaken my God and don't plan to. Amen? That is, that is grace. It's a gift. And church can be greatly blessed by God's favor. Favor follows obedience. Favor follows obedience. And the grace of God on your life, he can bless you. And listen, if he blesses you, and he blesses you, and he blesses you, and he blesses you, and you, and you, then guess what? We become a blessed church. You are the church. So if you're blessed, we all blessed. And that's what happened in chapter 4. If one had a piece of property and sold it, then the whole church got blessed, right, and met the needs of the people. So every, it, wasn't, it wasn't equal giving. It was equal sacrifice, which is another thing we're going to talk about. It's great sacrifice. Sacrifice. So that, so that everybody's not giving the same. It's obvious financially everybody's not on the same playing field, right? It never intended to be. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Oak Grove has a whole bunch of different levels of people on socioeconomic uh, statuses. I wish we had a little bit more color. But we live in a predominantly Anglo town. I said, I said, I wish we had a little bit more color. I wish we had a little bit more ethnicity. Uh, and, and we try. We have a little spot here, a little spot there. And, and, uh, and it's okay. But uh, I wish we could have more. Don't you? And so, and so we must be spreading ourselves boldly, witnessing to everybody, not just everybody like me, but everybody. Anybody you witnessed to last week that didn't look like you? Just, just thinking about it. God's grace has touched our life. And we get to be with each other. We get to be united together. We get to rejoice together, worship together, live together in the church life. And you have God's love in you. Then you can find yourself in a favored position with assurance of hope in life. You know, somebody told me the other day, I was witnessing to, oh, my friend came in from Kansas, Nathan Sheridan. He took me to the um, barbecue place over on South Camel. Best barbecue in town. What is it? City Butcher. City Butcher. My wife believes it. None of the rest of you believe it. If you haven't been to City Butcher, go and get me a gift card. Bring it back. Okay? It's very good. And he was paying, so I went. And uh, anyway, so the guy, there's only one guy working there. Imagine that. That's where we are today. <laughs> one person works in the whole place. He was a head cook, bottle washer, and front desk, and cashier doing it all. And so at the end, he said, I'm leaving. Me and Nathan were talking a lot. We do The preachers do that. Talk a lot. He said, I'm leaving at 645. You guys can go outside and sit at the picnic table. I said, okay. He said, uh, I don't know what he said, but somehow uh, he was a nice guy. And I said, hey, I'm Pastor Ron. Do you have a, a place where you worship in town? He said, you know, I'm looking for one. I just moved to town. I'm looking for one. I said, well, look no further. If you don't believe Oak Grove is the best place in town, you need to find another place to go. I mean, really, why would you go to a place you don't like, right? I love this place. I said, I love this place. 
wouldn't have given 21 years of my life here if I didn't love it. So I invited him, and he said, no. He said, really, I want to come, but I can't. I said, well, listen, you can, you can get here anytime you can. If you can't, just here's my cell. Call me. Ask me any question you want to ask me. We'll talk about anything you want. I mean, we got to take, we got to take all of the different excuses out of people's hands. We just got to bring people into our heart, into our life, and then they might end up in our church. But if all we're trying to do is get them in the church house, we might miss a lot of opportunity for new relationships. So great grace leads to great sacrifice. And, um, and so we're nothing without the grace of God. Amen? And so verse 34 and 35, from time to time, they sold their homes and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay? It's hard. It's hard to give uh, your tithe. But can I just stop here and say tithe shouldn't be a sacrifice? But when you thought about church in the Old Testament, they never came to the temple of God without a sacrifice. That was their gift. It didn't matter what kind of sacrifice. If it was a burnt offering, that means they needed forgiveness for something, right? It could have been a peace offering. But they came with an offering. And we know that we're, we're bringing the tithe to the storehouse in the Old Testament. They said bring it to the storehouse, Malachi 3.10, because... We're going to take care of the Levites. are going to take care of the house of God. And so they brought, in the New Testament, here it is, they brought uh, what they sold, the land. They brought the proceeds to the apostles' feet and said, we trust you, distribute it. Now, I know, I know, we live in a world where there's distrust everywhere. It's hard. People don't trust teachers. They don't trust the law enforcement. They don't trust, trust the government. And they don't trust the church. But how many know we can change that idea? I said we can break that curse. How are you going to have unity and, and, and be equal as one body if you don't trust each other? And how is anybody else to trust you if you can't even trust your own church? So a lot of trust, a lot of unity, a lot of sacrifice. And it was mutual, mutual sacrifice, right? It means equal sacrifice, not equal giving, like I said. And that's why I believe. And tithing. And everybody shouted. I also believe in a flat tax, but who's asking me? I mean, uh, tithing to me is like a flat tax. God said everybody, 10%. And uh, just like in America, half of Christians said, I'm out. I'm not doing it. But what what I see is the church is going to rock on in victory, and they're going to and they're going to suffer in poverty. Because even though you have money, if you don't have Jesus and God and the church, I mean, you're going to be in poverty. And you'll have holes in your pockets, and no matter where you go, without the favor and the grace of God, no matter what you do and how long hours you work, how much money you make, it'll never fulfill your heart. Because it's true in your heart is where your treasure is. Amen? So a great faith. Uh, it fulfills the needs of the body, and uh, and so it doesn't wait to be asked to respond to a need. And so uh, when we have disasters, and we have them all the time, Oak Grove knows that because we were part of Convoy of Hope, they know that we're going to send monies to Convoy of Hope. So if we have to ask you every time there's a disaster, how I many know we would ask you for money every week? I mean, I think about Alabama and Mississippi right now. Did you watch the news last night? And so on a daily basis. 
Convoy of Hope is dispatching somebody somewhere in the nation or around the world every day, every day, every day. Are you all hearing me? So if the Lord moves on your heart to respond with a gift, just call, give it, or just do it. We'll get it to it. It has to be a trust issue, right? So I don't trust the church. I'll give it to her myself. Well, glory be to you. And just do it, do it your way as long as you do it. Amen? But we ought to be able to do this. How? Together. Somebody shout together. That's unity. That's the one. That was great sacrifice. And then the next one is great encouragement. Man, you only got one left, and it's 11.08. Are y'all getting excited? Maybe that ought to be a seventh point. Great excitement. Put your shoes on. We're about to get out of here. So great faith was sacrificial. The modern church expects everything, but they sacrifice nothing. Here's what I see in the modern church. They expect everything. You give me, give me, give me, give me, but don't expect anything from me. Don't expect my attendance. Don't expect my money. Don't expect my commitment. Don't expect nothing. I just came to receive. Can you imagine? There's a new song, chorus. A new, I just made it up. I just came to receive everything. I'm not going to give a thing. Write that down. I think, Taylor, that might go somewhere, brother. Anyway, it's called entitlement, and it's really come and creeped into the church. So together we relieve the deficit. Somebody shout amen for that. Whether it's personal or corporate, we relieve the deficits. And uh, if, for example, Oak Grove has a church leak, is it up to two or three people to give to that, or, or do we all fix it? I know it's not fun to talk about a church leak, but, but it's all or it's nothing. So we express love by helping each other in the time of need and out of the common treasury. I love that. In this chapter 4, it says, out of the common treasury. That is the common treasury, monies. And, uh, and so also missions help people in other places. Acts eleven twenty seven through 30 says a day, uh, that, that they gave to Macedonia. The churches responded to the needs in other places. So I, I believe there's a day coming where not only we're going to want to be uh, part of the church in unity, but I think there's a day coming where you'll be glad you're part of the family of God when you have a financial need. We bless families before. So the DNA of a great church is a church that has great encouragement. Every church needs a Barnabas. We meet Barnabas here in chapter 4 at the end. What a great guy. What a great guy. When not everybody in the church, that one church, uh, that was being persecuted, Stephen was being stoned. A man stands there holding the coat of Stephen by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who really thought he was honoring God, but he was actually killing the church. And, um, and I believe conviction started right there when he looked into to, uh, Stephen's eyes and saw Stephen's boldness as he stood bold. And looked into heaven and said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. And, and Lord, don't lay this at their charge. Uh, you know, don't, don't, don't charge them. Forgive them. Isn't that, who did he learn that from? It was Jesus just a few year, uh, weeks earlier on the cross. Father, what? Forgive them. They have no idea what they do. If, if you know, we're living in a very hypersensitive culture. You know how easy it is to offend people today? 
I bet you somebody was offended at this very light and airy and positive faith-filled message today. I'm sure somebody was offended. Because it doesn't take much. It's like, oh, sorry. So what happens is everybody begins to back down and, and shrink down and not be so bold anymore. Are you hearing me? Can't say it because they'll be offended. And all of a sudden now, everything you say is to not offend as opposed to win God's favor and blessing on you and the church. And actually, how many things we ought to be protecting the church and guarding the church, right? And so not everybody's happy. But an encourager is what we need, an exhorter, an encourager, with your words, with your deeds, with your self-sacrifice, with your service to each other. So you can be a Barnabas. I said, you can be a Barnabas. Turn to your neighbor and say, hi, Barney. Hi, Barney. You can be a Barnabas. I pray you become a Barnabas. And we can work on becoming more effective in generosity, more effective in encouraging. Do you know generosity is a gift of the Spirit? Encouraging is a gift to be a blessing to someone. If you if you wake up on the wrong side every day, if you if you think everybody's against you, if you think if you think the world's out to get you, you're living in a paranoia, uh, corporate takeover all the time. How many know you're never going to be at peace with yourself or anybody else? Can I tell you the truth is not everybody in the world's thinking about you all day long. I hate to disappoint you, but it's funny. But let me go on before somebody gets offended. But uh, but we're talking about the Jerusalem church here, right? And so and so. The Jerusalem church faced great challenges, and uh, and and uh, they had false teachers in Acts 15. Hebrews tells us saints were ne- uh, negligent, uh, immature, and growing cold in their faith, even apathetic, indifferent. And because of persecution, some of them were shrinking back. By the time you get to Hebrews, they were wanting to go back into Judaism, which is religious traditions. I had it better off there. Now I'm, lo- I'm threatened by losing my job. Family members are leaving me. All kinds of things are happening. Because when you give your heart to Jesus, how I many know you got to give all your life to Jesus? And so that's what's going on here. Any church that thinks it cannot fall has already started to drift. How can we, who have had such a great salvation, right, allow ourselves to shrink back and and so let me end with this one. It's, it's, uh, it's the last one. Great prayer. So I want to look at this prayer because we got 10 minutes and, and then I'll let you get out of here. But uh, the, the first thing they did was acknowledge God's sovereignty in dealing with his enemies. I, I just got to tell you, God is going to deal with your enemies. How many believe the battle belongs to the Lord? So God already knew. He gave them commission. Go and preach the resurrection of of Jesus. Go and preach the resurrection. Tell everybody the good news. I'm not dead. I'm very much alive. And I'm coming back to get my church. That's what he said, right? The angel said, don't you worry about the same Jesus who just left you is coming back in like manner as you've seen him go. So now he said, go and build the church. Teach, preach, baptize, right? Tell him all that I told you to do, and I'm coming back to get you. That was the command. So that's the great commission. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. 
If we just, those are the two things we really need to, to get a hold of. So they're acknowledging God's sovereignty. And verse 25 through 28, he, he's saying, before Jesus left, he said, they're going to hate you. They hated me. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right? Who do you think you are? Are you going to get off easy? They crucified Jesus for being Jesus. They killed the Lord of glory, the anointed one, for being the anointed one. And when Peter starts preaching, man, he's laying them, he's laying them right out. He said, hey, hey, you killed the Messiah you waited on. You called on him, prayed for him, waited on him. Remember Simeon said, oh, he's finally here, right? The Messiah is here. So for three and a half years, they've been proclaiming. He's been proclaiming, and they've been hindered by it. They just couldn't receive that Jesus. They just couldn't receive that Jesus was Messiah. Uh, he threatened them. He threatened their traditions. Uh, he threatened uh, their money. He threatened everything about their system. And uh, and so the world hates the church. The world hates God. Uh, they hate uh, the body. They hated Jesus because he's the head of the church. They hate the body because we're the body of Christ. Are you hearing me? And so Philippians 3, 18 and 19, For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. The reason the world hates because they're on a different level. They're, 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 they're citizens of only one earth. They don't have a dual citizenship. Is anybody glad that you have dual citizenship? I know citizenship is a tough word today, but how many glad you're a citizen here and you're a citizen there? And if you're not a citizen there, it doesn't matter if you're one here. That's where it's really happening, right? And so this is what's going on. Peter and John saw it played out as Pilate and Herod and Jewish leaders conspired against Jesus. So not only did they acknowledge his sovereignty, they also asked for his strength in dealing with their enemies. Said, Lord. Look at us. Check, check it out. Here we are. How many of you ever felt like maybe God doesn't know where you are? He hasn't seen you in your need. And, and, so, and so when you're crying, crying out to God and praying and, and you're just saying, God, see me. Look at my situation. Don't you know where I'm at? I mean, they're getting persecuted. It's not like they didn't get a raise. Their life is threatened. Are you all hearing me? This is big stuff. And so look at the prayer. They didn't shrink back, but the boys went back to their support group. Can I tell you, church ought to be a major role in your life. You need to know the value of a praying church that you're part of. You don't know it until you get into a bind. You really can't appreciate it until you've been down, until you've been sick, until you needed something. I tell you, when I, I, I feel most effective as a pastor, uh, tomorrow I'll be at Hazel's funeral, and those people don't even go to our church. They're going to appreciate Pastor Ron coming and burying their mother. That's when they appreciate it. Usually death has to take place before somebody appreciates something, or pain, or loss. And when you have pain and loss, then you're striving to be a part of something. But until then, I don't need you. You don't need me, right? And that's how it is. I hate to preach the truth, but that is the truth. And nothing but the truth. So, help you God.
So the church prayed for them and raised their voice to God in one accord and said, Lord, you are God. Now, sovereign God, look at their threats. Look at their threats. Lord, don't you see the enemy threatening me? Don't you see me where I'm at? Don't you know how this feels? My life is on the line. See? It's a lot of pressure they're feeling. And uh, see our situation. He is Jehovah Roi, the God who sees. How do you know if he can see uh, um, Sarah and Hagar? Remember Hagar was in the desert with her dying son, Ishmael, and God saw her. If he can see her, I mean, he can see your situation. He's Jehovah Roi. And then he said, and then he said, grant to your servants. Look at that. We are servants. The church knew who they were. Can I tell you, in the, in, when they had communion in the upper room when he's washing their feet, you know, the question we always ask is, how many lords and how many servants? Well, in that room, there were 13 lords, right, or 12 lords, 11, 12 lords, one servant, when there should have been one lord and, and 12 servants. Are you all hearing me? Everybody wanted to have their feet washed, but nobody wanted to wash anybody else's feet. I wish somebody was hearing me. They didn't understand sovereignty. They didn't understand supreme rule. They didn't understand that God is God and there is no other. And we're not in charge, but they actually were fighting on who's going to be second place next to the Lord. But how many are thankful for the Holy Spirit that changed that? Now they got in one mind and one accord, and they're preaching boldly. And that is the DNA of the New Testament church. So, so they asked God to look at them. Grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. No whining, no complaining. Nobody organized a protest or a boycott. Nobody had to get their way. Nobody stormed out of the church because they didn't get their way. Uh, I love the way you're helping me preach. This is the truth. This is what they did. They praised and they prayed. You talk about a powerful DNA. A praising church and a praying church. It wouldn't be bad if they would be Pentecostal, right? But they had prayed. God began to move, and he shook the building. I mean, when we seek him, he starts moving. God still moves. Does anybody here believe God still moves? He speaks, and he moves, and he reveals himself. And shaking is often associated with God's presence coming into the place. So God's presence showed up, right? Just like he did on Mount Sinai, there was an earthquake. Weeks earlier, when Jesus was on the cross dying, the earthquake. Resurrection, resurrection morning, earthquake. God, his presence is there. And when his presence shows up, things start shaking, right? I want to ask you, what's shaking in your life this morning? God is the creator and the king. He has complete rule and authority over all creation. Because he made it all. Nehemiah said this, You alone are Lord, for you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all there is in it, the seas and all of heaven worships you. That's what Nehemiah said. He was a lay person. I mean, glad lay people can really get it. Divine revelation. So we live in a day where people want Jesus to be their consultant, but not their king. They want Jesus to add to them, but they don't want to sacrifice anything. And that's, that's the problem. The greatest threat to the church today are those who call themselves Christian but have not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. 
Just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. I love it. Love that shouting. I better quit. I'm getting so excited about your shouts. I think I need to quit before I have, uh, you know, yeah, a stroke. So they want to get close enough to the benefits of Jesus, but not too close to require anything from them. They want to get close enough to the church to get the benefits from the church, but they don't want to give anything. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah. So the prayer moved from the creator, from, from creator God to revealer God. He reveals his word to us. So I, I'm asking you today, be bold, don't fold. That simply means so that simply means let God fill your mind with the word. Look at verse 25. Through the mouth of David, the Holy Spirit spoke. And then he quotes Psalm 2. You understand? See that? He he quotes the Psalms, I mean. And and, and he says, nine hundred years earlier, it was revealed to David that we would have persecution today. So God didn't just wake up this morning shocked by their persecution was already spoken. And it, now it comes to pass through the mouth of David. And David predicted this time when rulers would come against the Lord and his anointed. And the disciples, listen to this, the disciples who knew the Old Testament that 900 years earlier this was prophesied and now is fulfilled. Verse 27, for truly in this city were gathered people against your holy servant Jesus because they knew the word they could see God's plan being unfilled before uh, them exactly as God had said so. So if you know your Bible, listen to me right now as we close this message out. If you know your Bible, the rapture won't be a shocker. If you know your Bible, the persecution that's coming to the church in the next year or close months or weeks or what won't be a shocker. If you know your Bible, the apostasy that's coming, the great falling away that's coming, even the very elect are going to be deceived. shouldn't bother you. It should make you get back on your knees, right? Trusting sovereign God. Stay with God's people. I said, stay in church. Stay with God's people. They're the praying people. They're the people going to help you, serve you, walk with you, walk hand in hand with you, bury your family, help you raise your children. Stay with God's people. And stay with God's word. When the church unfolds or folds or whatever it happens to it, you can still trust his word. Amen. Stay with the plan of God. Trusting sovereign God to finish what he started. So they asked God to see their situation. They asked to help speak them boldly. Uh, not for not for the problem to go away. Not one time did they ask for the problem to go away. Not one time. Grant us boldness to keep speaking your word on your behalf. They ask for God to do the miraculous. How many believe that God is still a miracle working God? You know, we're hearing stories and revival and miracles here and there. I believe God can do miracles. I believe that. And, uh, and the expectancy in verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through Jesus' name. The miracles authenticated the message and gave credibility to Peter and John. So God shows up when we get in together in unity, when we when we pray, when we praise, right? Show that God's power and presence was real and relevant, and he revealed his word. Verse 31, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The word bold means ability to speak freely and frankly 
over and over. You know, it's pressure in the in the 21st century church to preach boldly and frankly. And, and sad to say, even in Pentecostal pulpits, Assembly of God pulpits, our churches and our pastors are feeling pressure to shrink back, water it down, say it say it easier, be be sensitive to the seeker. And all the while, all the while, the seekers are dominating the saints. It's crazy. But uh, the word boldness means to speak. If you search Acts, you find boldness. Acts chapter 9. Chrissy, you guys can come back. Acts chapter 9, verse 27. Barnabas vouches for Paul's conversion. Remember Barnabas, that guy, the encourager? He vouches for Paul's conversion at Damascus. Nobody else wanted to take a chance on him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that First Assembly of God down in Louisiana took a chance on Ron Moran. I'm glad they vouched for him. Hey, he really did get saved. And Melissa was wise enough to wait a year before she married me to make sure that I got Jesus and not just her. Not a bad idea for dating in the Assemblies of God. Amen. So, so Barnabas vouches for Paul. It says he preached boldly in Jesus' name, bold. Acts 13, 46, so they remained there a long time, a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. Acts 19, 8, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Acts 26, 26, the king knows about these things, Paul said, and to him I speak boldly. That's our assignment. Be bold, don't fold. I want you to stand with me this morning. Will you become a bolder person? Now, I know this is not automatic. It's actually a crazy request. Will you become a bolder person? Um, so I'm not talking about your personality. I'm not, I'm not asking you to take your Bible and go stand on a, a milk crate in the middle of downtown and start telling everybody, you know, you're going to hell without Jesus. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not even sure about some of that. But I'm asking you this. Will you embrace opposition knowing that your God is sovereign? I mean, no, he's sovereign. He's going to take care of you. Don't, love, don't worry about it. Will you proclaim the resurrection? How I many know it's coming up in a couple of weeks? How I many know it ought to be a conversation on your lips everywhere you go? Jesus is alive and well. Amen? Will you seek to stay filled with the Spirit? So that any moment you can listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, He can speak to you, and you will respond and do what He's asking you to do, just like He did at the barbecue restaurant last Tuesday. So if that young man comes to Oak Grove, praise God. If he don't, it's not going to be my problem. I invited him. Are you all hearing me? I invited him. And if he calls me, I'll bring him in further to the relationship. Will you live and preach Jesus as the only way? Will you shrink back and say anybody can get to heaven any way they want? Islam going to heaven. Buddhists are going to heaven. Hindus are going to heaven. Really? Then what are we doing in here? If everybody's going to heaven, we have nothing to preach. Who cares if Jesus resurrected, died on the cross, if everybody's going to heaven? Not so. I mean, only one man died on the cross, was buried and rose again on the third day. And I said, there's only one name under heaven whereby a man or a woman can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. No other way. Sorry, Charlie. 
Will you give God all the glory for what he does in your life? Will you, you know, maybe boldness for you is the risk of rejection by a friend, a co-worker, family, or a neighbor. Maybe it's being more compassionate, more generous. I don't know what boldness is for you, but I'm not asking you to change your personality. I'm asking you to believe God for supernatural power, encouragement, unity, all the things that the DNA of a local church looks like. The altars are open. I'm not sure where you need help and strength from. But if you go back, you can maybe you need great prayer, great power, great encouragement, right? Great unity. Whatever it is you need, the altars are open. They ask God not to get rid of their problem, but to help them. Strength and stability. Sovereignty and strength. That's all they ask for. If you need anything from the Lord, the altars are open. You come. Let's worship the Lord together.